Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Cynthia Hyatt is a Christian psychotherapist specializing in trauma therapy, couples, relationships, and personal development. She is passionate about your life and is here to encourage, teach, and inspire you to be your own best version. Find her online at CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Now, with today's fresh insights, Cynthia Hyatt. Well, thank you for joining me today. I'm Cynthia Hyatt. And you are listening to Faith Talk, KPXQ, 1360 AM radio. And I'm so glad that you are joining us today. Thank you for being with me. And I'm hoping that you are really enjoying the shows. I'm getting lots of great feedback, and I really appreciate that. We spent the first three days of this week talking about all the things not to do to yourself, to really just stop doing, and, and gave some ways of reorienting that and rearranging how to do a life that is far more effective, far more enjoyable, much less stressful. So I want to take the next two days, the, at least the rest of this week, and we will probably do a little bit more on this topic starting on Monday and maybe Tuesday. And then we are going to really talk uh, the rest of next week about fear. We're going to do more on fear. And is fear bad? And how to not make yourself sick with fear? And what fear is actually intended for? And the biblical idea of fear and what God says about fear. So I'm going to start with this wonderful quote because, you know, I love quotes And this is, the quote is your own worst enemy. And it says, this is by Laird Hamilton. He says, make sure your worst enemy isn't living between your two ears. I love that. Make sure your worst enemy isn't living between your own two ears. So we've talked so much about being on your own side, you know, loving the person that God has made, making peace with yourself, really being willing to live your life, to own your life, and to live your life, and to not be your own worst enemy. And so we're going to take some time today to figure out really how we make sure we are not our own worst enemy. And this may seem kind of strange because of the direction I'm taking it in, but this is called a searching, fearless, and moral inventory. Some of this is taken from AA in the big book. And one of the steps that AA really camps on is this whole idea of a fearless moral inventory. Being brave enough to look at you. Brave enough to face your past so that you can really have the future that you want. Brave enough to see, wow, how deep, how far you can go. But the one thing that AA doesn't do is also do the positive. When we do a fearless moral inventory, we also want to look at the positives. We want to look at who God really made us to be. And are we doing that? Are we living up to that? Or are we too afraid to do the talents and the abilities that God has given us? Do we keep hiding our light under a bushel? And so when we, when we looked at the, the whole entire inventory, and I like to use this, the reality of who you are, and I use A-R-E as an acronym, and that's acceptance, responsibility, and effort. This is the reality of who you are, good, bad, and indifferent. And the way to really accept the reality, the truth of who you are, 
to be who God has asked you to be is to practice acceptance of who you are, the good and the bad, take responsibility for it, and put effort into your life. And so we see that the first step is that of acceptance. And I often say to my clients and myself on a regular basis, acceptance, the key to all my problems. <laughs> it's really true. There are so many things that are problematic to me. And a lot of the problem is I just won't accept the fact that it is what it is. And that's the way it is. It's kind of like people that won't accept the fact that there are a particular height, right? There's nothing we can do about it. Or accept the way that we look. Accept, you know, the level of, of intelligence or creativity that we have. Or accept, you know, the, the talents, the amount of talents or the limit, limited amounts of talents, whatever that may be. Or accept where we were born, what station in life we were born into. And, and we just don't want to accept maybe our spouse or our friends or we don't want to accept the country right now. And, and truly, when I say acceptance is the key to all my problems, it does not mean acceptance is agreement. I don't necessarily agree when I'm accepting. What I am recognizing is that it's kind of like if I'm trying to move a building, I'm probably going to have to get some other resources other than my own strength. And so I accept the fact that on my own, I cannot move the building. And then I consider whether or not it's even possible and what it may take to do that. But the acceptance piece is accepting things that I cannot change and accepting the things that I can and taking responsibility for those. So we focus first on accepting these things that are unchangeable because they are in part and whole the actual design of God. So we accept gender, we accept our talents, we accept our abilities, our temperament, our personality, our physical bodies. We accept when we were born, what year we were born, what country we were born into, what nationality we are. And so when we've done that, when we've kind of taken some time to accept the reality of who you are, then we're going to take it a little deeper. And we're going to do the searching, fearless, moral inventory, which is accepting our part of who we are. So have I added things to myself that God would not have added? Have I taken away things that God loved or ignored things that God loved? or rejected things that God loved. So although our past may not always represent who we are authentically, in that our past may not be congruent with the original, what we would say, the God-created design, it is a unique and authentic part of who we are at present. So it's, it's kind of like you want to see your past as your contribution or participation or lack of to the dynamic or the ongoing process of God working out his good work in you. So my past has a lot to do with what I've contributed and how I have participated or I did not participate in areas I should have. And this is how God works out the good work in me. The only reason he wants me to look at the past is to learn from it. It's not to lament it over it not to chastise myself. It's not to beat myself up over it. That really doesn't work. I wish it did. If it did, God would do it. So we really want to learn from the past. So we know that our identity is based solely in our ability to remember. You see, if you can't remember your past, you don't know who you are. 
And this is kind of a tricky statement I just made. If you don't remember your past, you don't know who you are. That doesn't mean that what you remember is truly who God is asking you to be and who he designed you to be. But it is a very, very profound reference point. So think of amnesia victims. The dilemma that God has is making sure our past either reflects our true self or it becomes reconciled through our own self-discovery to who we really are. For example, we say, wow, that's not really who I am. And maybe our parents and teachers, friends, our spouses are saying, hello, hey, that's not who you are. Why are you doing that? See, as a result, our past becomes a necessary grid. It's a template for what we're going to do in the future. To either be more of who we have been or to be less. We want to make sure that our past doesn't misrepresent us. And if it does, that we don't continue it into the future. So many times we might see our past as completely unacceptable. Trust me, I have been there. You know, or certain personality traits or character flaws are absolutely unacceptable. We don't like the way we look. We don't like the way we talk. We think we should be smarter. We think we should be more creative. We should be more talented, better looking, funnier, whatever it is have the ability to make more money. Who knows what it is that you ascribe to yourself as what you think you should be. So some of the things about us may feel unacceptable. But if we don't fully embrace, accept, and love ourselves completely, especially when it regards my past, I'm bound to repeat it. And so this is really important. If I fully don't accept my past, which has already happened, so I need to accept the things I can't change and have the courage to change the things I can, right? But if I never really fully accept my past, I'm never going to be able to love that mistake-making person, me, in the way that God loves me. And if I can't love and forgive me, then that part of me stays separate from me. And I'm not talking about, you know, this idea of, I'm not talking about multiple personality disorder. I'm talking about we, we create space from ourselves. We say, oh, I don't like that part of me. I don't like myself. I don't like me. See, we have the me, myself, and I that's constantly operating as one. So it's important that you understand if you can't make peace with yourself, you have a divided house. And we know a divided house cannot stand. So I must accept myself, all of me. God does. God accepts all of me in order to have peace and unity. And remember, acceptance does not always mean agreement or condonement. Accepting who I've been and, and the things that I have done that are good or bad or indifferent doesn't mean I agree with all of it. Doesn't mean I want to repeat all of it. See, the only way the enemy can stand against you is if you are participating with him, standing against yourself. And I'm not talking about standing against sin. I'm talking about standing against you being a mistake-making person that needs to learn. And the only way, really, that humans truly learn well is by making mistakes. 
That's the most profound learning curve a human can, can experience. So I need to learn to act toward me the way God acts toward me and really trust and realize that God knows what he's talking about when he says it is his kindness that leads us to repentance. Now that doesn't mean sometimes we have to experience really hardcore consequences to wake us up. But God's true MOD, the way he prefers to operate that works the best with humans is kindness. Be kind to you. You will be amazed at how much better you will be able to fight sin and how much more quickly you will rebound from mistakes and not have that horrible, horrible shame spiral, which we're going to talk about next week is the, the horrible issue of, of shame and that whole toxic problem that we have with shame. So I want to read you this verse. And this is about kindness. And this is Romans chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. And it says, you didn't think, did you, that just by pointing your finger at others, you would distract God from seeing all your misdoings and from coming down hard on you? Or did you think that just because he's such a nice God, he let you off the hook? Better think this one through from the beginning. God is kind, but he's not soft. His kind, in kindness, he takes us firmly by the hands and leads us into a radical life change. He's kind. And the kindness piece means he does not judge us. He's not condemning in that manner. He doesn't show us his disgust, that he's disgusted in us. He may be disgusted in what we do, but he's not disgusted in who you are. He sees past all of that. See, this is amazing. What this means is that we are not, quote-unquote, accepting as if we're saying it's okay. Like I somehow embrace the bad as good. No, that would mean I've learned nothing. This would be utter foolishness. What it means is that God accepts all of me as he is changing me and purifying me. He accepts and loves me completely. He is doing the good work he began in me. So remember when we talked about unleashing potential, the first step is no fear. And so when we do this inventory of ourselves, we want to recognize that God's already gone before us. He says, I've gone before you, I will be with you, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. There's nothing too scary inside of you. There's nothing too terrible, too bad that God can't overcome. For heaven's sakes, King David did premeditated murder and coerced Bathsheba. I mean, what was she going to say? She's going to say no to the king? And he lost a baby in the midst of it. And he was the king of kings before Christ showed up and took over the throne. So don't be afraid to search out you and to bring everything into the light with God and just talk candidly with God about who you are at present and your past and let God tell you who you really are. 
and what he saw when he created you. And so when we do this fearless inventory, I want you to listen to this verse. This particular verse, this is Psalms 51, verse 6, and this is 4 through 6. It says, you're the one I violated. You've seen it all. You've seen the full extent of my evil. You have all the facts before you. Whatever you decide about me, God, is fair. I've been out of step with you for a long time, in the wrong since before I was born. When you're after truth from the inside out, enter me, then conceive a new true life. So God, what you're after is truth from the inside out. And so we say to God, enter me then, conceive anew, conceive a true life in me. In Psalms 139, this is 23 and 24, says, Search me, O God, know my heart, test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. So the principle that these verses are showing us is that we openly examine and confess our faults to myself, to God, and to someone else. It's always better if you tell somebody so that it's really truly in the natural. It's a very different feeling to just be inside of yourself having a conversation with yourself and with God alone. If you really bring it out into the natural world, it has far more power when you say it out loud to somebody. And that is tough, I'm telling you. I have the utmost respect for my clients. They are the most brave people on the planet. They come in and they are willing to face the scrutiny that I do, that I give them. And they are willing to bear it all and say, this is what I did. This is what I've done. In fact, Cynthia, not only did I do it, I wanted to do it. I planned it. And see, when we can do that, when we can know, hey, we're in good company. We're in the company of King David. We're in the company of the disciples. We're in the company of Jonah, right? He's a prophet, one of the great prophets. He didn't want to do anything God asked him to do. But he was honest with God. And God still used him greatly. So this is what you want to think about. You want to say, you know what? I got to talk. I got to be honest with myself. I've got to be honest with God. It's kind of ridiculous not to be. And I need to not, I need to stop avoiding God and myself. And I need to be honest with someone else. And I'm telling you, I want you to be careful about this. I don't want you to do this just haphazardly and impulsively. When you're going to be honest with another human, I want you to pick a very safe person. One that you know and ha see has history in being someone that keeps confidence and confidence and that is not judgmental. Absolutely does not water down what you do. But sees past what you do to who you are. And it's very imperative to be a healthy person that you have someone here on the planet that knows you very well. And is accepting and loving and kind, not soft necessarily, but very kind, and is with you while you are working out your salvation. 
and gives you an opportunity to talk about it and say, hey, I'm making a lot of progress. And you know what? I really messed up yesterday, but I got to get back on the program. That's what humans need. Humans aren't good being an island in and of themselves. Even Jesus. Jesus, he's God. He had friends and needed friends and was upset when his friends let him down. When he said, I needed you. I needed you. Couldn't you have given me one hour? So let's look at this. This is James chapter 516. It says, make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. The prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful and to be reckoned with. Now please hear me when I say, this verse, a pr the prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful. This does not mean that you're going to find someone that's living right with God 24-7. This is a person that's working on their own inventory, that's working on their own fearless willingness to look at themselves. This is a person that's working on things, is responsible for things, recognize when they get off track, pull themselves back on track, repent, confess, fix if they need to fix something. This is a person that's living right, not a person living perfectly. God did not say the prayer of a person living perfectly with God. He said a person living right with God. This is, come let us reason together, right? God is saying, let's reason together. Your sins are, are a scarlet. I'm going to make them white as snow. But you have to talk to me about them. I can't wash them clean, white as snow, if you don't come and reason together with me and talk to me about it. So I think to myself, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? Fearless? I can't do this fearlessly. But what I want you to think about is doing something fearlessly does not doing something without fear. It says I'm just going for it. That's what fearless is. I'm going for it. Because fearless means there's something to be afraid of. So I'm not letting my fear dictate my decisions. That means I'm fearless. It doesn't mean I'm without fear. And all this stuff I'm trying to forget, all this stuff I wish never happened, all this stuff I can't believe I said and I did, even half hour ago probably, right? We're thinking to ourselves, oh, this is going to be fun. This is like Disneyland, right? No, this is like a horror show, I'm sure. So absolutely, I have to tell you, there's nothing, nothing harder than having to deal with the fact that you shocked yourself. I don't like it when I shock myself in a bad way. But there's nothing better than talking about how I did that and talking about how I shocked myself, good or bad. So let's look at confession. Why is confession so powerful? Why would God be so big on confession? And we're going to end today with this particular passage. This is in the Message Bible. And this starts us off as we talk tomorrow and we pick up tomorrow about confession. And this is Isaiah chapter 1, verses 18 through 19 in the Message Bible. And it says, come sit down. Let's argue this out. This is God's message. If your sins are blood red, they'll be snow white. If they're like crimson, they'll be like wool. If you'll willingly obey, you'll feast with kings. But if you're willful and stubborn, you'll die like dogs. That's right. God says so. This is a big deal. 
being willful and stubborn as a way of thinking that that's proud or that somehow you're saving yourself from pain is really digging a deeper hole. This is something God is very big about. He understands what confession does for the soul and how it gets the sickness out of your body. The fear of sin is that we're going to be caught, we're going to be found out, or someone's going to know us in a way that we don't want them to see. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Thank you for joining me today. We're going to talk more about confession. And God be with you today. You are beautifully and wonderfully made, and he is so very happy that he created you. So walk in confidence today, and I'm praying for you. Make sure you check out the website at CynthiaHyatt.com. Thank you always for your comments and all of your activity on social media. We appreciate it. Have a blessed day. To hear today's program again or to share it with someone else, please go online, CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Conversations with Cynthia is heard daily at 3 p.m. and 12 noon every Sunday on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. Follow Cynthia on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Cynthia Hyatt. Until next time, remember... Be your own best version. Yeah.